Today we're going to conclude the series, Taking God at His Word, uh, with the subtitle, Until His Word Becomes My Word. Say that with me. Until His Word Becomes My Word. I had referenced that statement sometime in the past, um, some weeks ago, I'm not sure exactly when, but I had referenced that statement just in passing in what I was preaching that day, but it has not left me. And the need for His Word to become my Word cannot be understated. If I really want to become the image of God in Christ, His Word has to become my Word. If I really want to be the person who grows and changes, His Word must become my Word. Not my Word become His, because that's not going to happen until those two words are so blended together that the two shall become one, which is the series we will begin next week. It's not about marriage, so don't misinterpret that. But we begin a series next Sunday, the two shall become one. But in this particular day, on this particular day, there's some things that I want to share with you, some of it born out of something that happened this week. And I want to begin by reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Normally we would have the scriptures up here. I don't think, can you put it up there? You're not able to broadcast it. So you're going to have to turn with me either in the app connected to your cellular service, not the Wi-Fi. You can connect it to your cellular service. Oh, that's not, oh yeah, it's going to be hard to get out of this building because it's a metal building. So I'm going to read it to you or you're going to get your old-fashioned Bible out, the one that actually has paper. And we're going to read this morning out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In fact, I have it all in my notes, but 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to begin with verse 6. It reads like this. It says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ... I who am humble or humble when face to face with you, but I am bold towards you when I'm away. In other words, when I'm with you, you know, one of the things uh, that I think is some of you have said, well, you've had leaders before. Let me just put it this way. We've all had leaders before when in a very public setting or in a large group setting or a larger group than one setting, the leader would be very bold in his comments. Much, uh, and, and you begin to, if you're only experienced with a leader, in fact, let me, put it, let me make it personal. If your only experience with me is what you hear me say on Sunday morning, it would be easy for you to draw the conclusion that your experience with me on Sunday morning is the same experience that you would have with me if you sat across the table at lunch with me. That the boldness that I have when I'm standing behind this pulpit does not match, I think, the gentleness that I'm careful to use when I'm sitting across the table from someone. There's a reason for that. I'll try to help you understand whether you can or can't. It's up to you. But Paul said the same thing, and you have noticed that about people. You've all probably known people that way. Perhaps 
And I know that it's been said for some of you that have listened to me preach and you've never been in my office, you came into my office maybe for the first time and you expected a similar response when we were speaking one-on-one that you received when I was speaking to the whole body. And then when the response was more lighthearted, maybe, not that I'm not lighthearted here, but the response was more, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, n- not what you expected. And, and you left thinking, I didn't expect, or saying, I didn't expect that. I thought that it would be, your response would be like this. Paul was saying that. He said, when I'm with you, I'm humble, humble. Humble. I'm from Texas, so we don't say our H's, and I, and I say it every time. My, my wife is training me to say it right. She's not from Texas. She's from Florida, where they say it Florida's way. Somehow it's better than Texas' way. I'm not sure. But he said, when I'm with you, I find myself to be humble. When I'm away from you, I find myself with a greater boldness. Even in my reference to you. And the reason that that is, is let's say if I can join this together just for understanding's sake, when I'm ministering to you on a Sunday morning or when I'm ministering to a group or the men or whomever and I'm ministering to a group of people, it's less personal because you're ministering to a group of people. So what you're doing is you are speaking words that you are hoping through discernment and through hearing Holy Spirit, you are speaking words that you are hoping will impact every listener. So while to one listener, the words that are spoken might be life and strength and and confidence, to another listener, it might be, wow, he's stepping all over my feet. Does that make sense? So to one, it's one thing. To another, it's another thing because you are speaking a word as I am right now, hoping, trusting, by faith, believing that God is using the words that I speak to minister to every single person in this room. So it's almost buckshot. You cast it out there, believing that every BB will find its place. But one-on-one, when you are present and you're sitting across the table from someone, it is much easier to focus on their individual need what is going on in them specifically without trying to interpret what's going on in the whole body. So it seems a little bit more personal, perhaps, is the way to say it. And this is what Paul's saying. He said, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away, I beg you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power in order to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that is raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when 
your obedience is complete. Very strategic statement Paul makes in verse 6. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. What I'm about to say is not in my notes, so I'm going to say it now so I don't forget to say it. The strategic part of this scripture. Being ready to punish every disobedience. In other words, Paul said, I am not going to hack away the branches that are sapping your fruit until you come to the place that you understand that those branches are sapping your fruit. I'm not going to worry about your disobedience until your obedience can recognize the disobedience that is present. Because if I try to affect the disobedience in you before your obedience understands or recognizes what is disobedience, all I'm going to do is hinder you from being able to move any further past the thought of why is he picking on me? Does that make sense? So I want to say something and then I'm going to come back to this scripture. But uh, every Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. we meet in this room for intercession that Jenny Kerner leads. She leads intercession. She has now for a couple of years every Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. And this past Wednesday morning, and by the way, if you're not able, if you have not come to intercession, I want to encourage you to make every effort to be present at intercession. Again, every Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. It's powerful, it's engaging, it's enlightening, it's preparation, it's, it's awesome. So this past Wednesday morning, as she always does, Jenny had some things that Holy Spirit had shared with her that she shared with those of us that were gathered. And in her sharing, she talked about a Hebrew word that had caught her attention in her study and she shared that with us after she shared it and we left intercession that morning I texted her and I said send me that information so I want to read to you exactly what Jenny read to us this past Sunday morning because it was so applicable to the word Holy Spirit had given me about today again I'm very moved in my spirit about what he is going to accomplish this morning and some of you are going to be free from a whole lot of bondage and discontent and confusion that you have carried with you for a long time if you'll listen to the words that I have to say some of you are going to be set free from the bondage of scripture into the liberty of scripture You're going to be set free from the law of Scripture into the life of Scripture. If you can hear me, it will change your life. So Jenny said this Sunday morning. She said, in Hebrew, the root word yada translates to these words, to know or to have knowledge. It appears almost 950 times in the Hebrew Bible. It has a deeper definition than our English word. It includes perceiving, learning, understanding, willing, and experiencing. To know or to have knowledge is not to be intellectually informed about some abstract principle, but to apprehend and experience. Knowledge is not the possession of information, but rather its exercise or actualization. Again, let me read that. Knowledge, yada, in its truest form, is not the possession, it's not knowing something, 
but rather it is the exercise or actualization of what I know. The opposite of knowledge, this is all what Jenny shared, the opposite of knowledge is not ignorance, but it is rebellion or disobedience. Knowing something exists doesn't mean you have knowledge or yada of it. Knowledge of God comes from relationship. It is something that must be walked in daily, conversing with the Father, communing with Him on every level. This is where yada is actualized. Not just studying or reading about it or something. Relationship causes true knowledge to manifest. Knowledge, yada, is the active outflow of what we have come to know because of relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? So when she shared that, it caught my attention about several things, and I want to address those in a few moments, for just a few moments today, and I want you to hear what it is that I'm saying, because the direction that I was going today before Jenny shared this, uh, we will segue into in a moment, but the direction that I was going with this particular word today, un until his word becomes our word, uh, will allow us to come to the place where we get past those things that hinder us. And let me just reiterate again, because we did not last week teach. Um, we had the play, which was amazing. But I want to remind you, especially those of you that today are here and have not been a part of any of these this series, uh, so you're learning, you're seeing, you're hearing something for the first time. I want to say to you that in the last, in fact, let me read this because I think it's important for you to know what I'm going to say before, have some understanding of what I'm going to say so that you don't get caught up on a thorn that is meant instead to be a rose, okay? In the last verse of the last chapter of the book of John, it says this, there are many things that Jesus did. And were every one of them to be written, the world itself could not contain the books that would need to be written. This is in the Bible. There are many other things that Jesus did outside of this. Track with me for a moment. If they were all to be written, compiled on pages of parchment, encased in leather, bound with pretty orange cloth, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written recording all that Jesus Christ did in three years of active ministry from the time he rose in the morning until the time he laid his head down at night. In fact, it could be said 
that the miracles that Jesus did did not even cease when he laid his head down at night. Because even in his rest, we know that when the boat was being tossed about on the seas and the disciples were fearful, even in that moment, in his rest, in his sleep, Christ was aware of their doubt and disbelief. Awakening him from his sleep to be able to address what he knew while he was resting. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? So when you think about the fact that the world itself is not big enough to record all that Jesus did, and then we read the scripture that says, greater works than what he did, we could do also. What hinders the church world today from doing greater works is one, our interpretation of greater works. Our interpretation of greater works is limited to what we have seen or read within the 12, uh, 1,726 pages of this particular book. Our interpretation of that is limited to this. In what Jesus was saying, what he was inspiring, or what Holy Spirit inspired John to say was, let the people know that he did a lot more than what they're reading. It's important for me, for him to know that they are aware that he's bigger than the book. And if they want to do greater things than what he did, they can't read the book and figure out what he did and do more. They're going to have to find the resource of who wrote the book so that they can tap into that resource that had knowledge of what he did that is written and what he did that isn't. And help them come to that place. So, as we read this, and I go back to, after what Jenny uh, referred to, yada is knowing or knowledge. It is, it's the activation, the actualization of that. It isn't just knowing, I know this. Therefore, I am a believer. I know this. Therefore, I have faith. I read the Bible. Therefore, I have relationship with God. Knowing it, because I possess the ability to read it or understand it, does not translate to yada. It's when what I have read and what I see and what I've come to know begins to be actualized because I understand that this was not meant to be the beginning and the end. It was meant to lead me to the one that this writes about. It was meant to point the way. This is the way. Walk in it. In order to get me to the Father so that I could then actualize the relationship that I now have with him. And it is because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. It is because of my relationship with Yahweh God. It is because of my relationship with him that I'm not bound by laws and legalism and religion. But instead I am set free into a life where I can hear his voice and I can trust that he will tell me yes and no when I when a yes or no is needed. And then the actualization of that relationship is when he says yes, I say amen. And when he says no, I say sorry. I just actualized that relationship. I just actualized that knowledge. I just actualized what I have with him. He said yes about this. He approved. 
Well done. Good job. I'm going to keep walking in it. That's incredible. He said no. All right, I'm going to repent, and I'm going to regroup. I'm going to actualize this thing that I have come to know. Now, let me back up to that verse where it says in verse 2 in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 2, he says, I beg you when I'm present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Do you know why they were suspected of walking according to the flesh? Because they were, um, this is a rhetorical question, but because they were walking outside of what the Jewish faith, what the Jewish culture accepted to be scripturally relevant. Because suddenly, the way they were living didn't look like the Mosaic law. Because suddenly, they weren't going to the temple with a dove and a heifer to sacrifice it on the altar. Suddenly, they weren't living according to that Mosaic law, and suddenly, it looked so outside of what the church that was known as the church at that time, or not, wasn't known as, but it was the only... Faith was the Jewish faith. And all they knew was, if you don't do this, you're going to die. So the moment Christ's disciples begin to say, but there's more. What they never said was, that's irrelevant. What they did say was, your first Adam died. But the second Adam has come to give life. So while we accept that the first Adam ate of the fruit and condemned us to condemnation and sin, the second Adam has come, died, and rose again so that now I can be reborn. So it doesn't make irrelevant what you've taught us. It just means that there is more. And for those of us willing to say, we're listening, God, tell us what else. Because of our willingness to step out of the pages of your book, priest. Because of our willingness to step out of the pages of your book, preacher. Because of our willingness to step outside of the confines of your law and your legalism, friend or family. Because of my willingness to step outside of what you have accepted as relationship with God, you say I'm walking in the flesh. I'm telling you I am walking in the flesh, but I'm walking in blessed flesh because I've come to the place where I'm no longer contained by the law and the legalism, but I have been exposed to the liberty of what yada produces, and that is relationship with Jesus Christ. It's more than a book. What kind of relationship is it? I can tell you today, my wife and I, two things. I'm going to tell you two things. One, we would not have children, and two, we would, we would not be married today if everything about us was based on reading a book. If I read a book about having children, we would never have children. Somehow there had to be actualization. If I read a book about honoring my wife, and I just kept reading that book, and, and somebody said, do you know how to honor your wife? Oh, yeah, I read a good book by Dr. Whomever. 
They told me how to honor my wife. Do you do that? Oh, no, I just keep reading the book over and over and over again. As long as I read that book, I feel like I'm honoring my wife. Really? Does your wife know you're honoring your wife? Oh, is that important? I just keep reading this book, and if I keep reading this book, then it's part of me. It's in me. It's all about, I'm all about it. Well, guess what? You keep reading the book. It's good that the book might give you understanding. It's good that the book might point you in the right direction. But once it points you in the right direction, start walking in the right direction. So when it tells me this is how you honor my wife, your wife, then I'm going to say, okay, I've received that. It's not yada yet. It's information. I got information. Now it becomes knowledge. When I go to my wife and I say, I want to honor you. I want to do this. I want to help you in this way. What do you need? I'm here to serve you. And I begin to serve my wife. Suddenly, yada has taken place. There is an actualization of what was information that has now become knowledge. Does anybody hear what I'm saying today? And Paul said, he said, they suspect us of walking according to the flesh. And he said, indeed, we do walk in the flesh. We're not waging war against, according to, but we're not waging war by the flesh. He said, listen, I've got this body. I've got skin. I I bleed. Cut me, I bleed. We do all of that. And yes, we do walk in the flesh, but I don't wage war by this thing. I have relationship with a father, and what I hear him say, I say. What I see him do, I do. He said, the weapons of my warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power, and that divine power destroys strongholds. He said, and you know what? You know what? Those of you that are telling me that because I don't read and read and read and read and somehow think that reading translates to doing, I'm going to tell you, when it translates, when it becomes yada knowledge, when it becomes the kind of knowledge that I'm actualizing, and I begin to actually do it, and I begin to mentally make decisions, I'm going to change this about me. I'm going to begin to change how I make decisions here, and where I go, and what I do, and what I participate in. And I begin to do that. I immediately begin to, as Paul said in verse 4, I begin to destroy some of those strongholds that have held me down because suddenly I'm actualizing what I've come to know through my relationship with Jesus Christ. Am I making any sense this morning? There's a reason that sometimes we can do and go and be a part of things that we wonder why it bothers other people. It doesn't bother us. It's because we haven't actualized the relationship yet. When that relationship with Christ becomes actualized, when that relationship with Christ actually comes to a place where it really matters to me what he thinks, suddenly it will matter what I think. When his word becomes my word, suddenly I will begin to be concerned. If if he thinks that, I'm going to think that. If he feels that way about this thing, then I'm going to feel this way about that thing. Do you hear me today? Then he says in verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive in order to obey Christ. Take every thought captive so that I can obey Christ. The world is not big enough to contain the books that it would take to record the miracles that Jesus did in three years of ministry. So if I'm going to do greater works than he, if I'm going to be, I want to take every thought captive captive in order that I might obey Christ with crazy faith not stupid faith but crazy faith the kind of faith that says I believe I believe I believe amen so with that I want to segue into something 
And let me start by saying this. God never intended for mankind to have knowledge of Scripture. He never intended for mankind to have a relationship with the Bible. The purpose of Scripture is to lead us to the knowledge of God through relationship with Christ. It was never his intention. If I lost this Bible today, if a communist nation came into America today, if whomever came into America today and confiscated every single Bible in the United States, every, listen to what I'm about to say, every single leather-bound Bible in, the, in, in America was confiscated today and taken away, and suddenly you didn't have one. You know what would happen? It would be embarrassing because so much of the church world would be weeping and wailing as though it were the end of the world. I would be celebrating because I would see it as the beginning of true relationship with God. Instead of memorizing scripture and praying every verse, they would begin to talk to the Father and have to depend upon Him. Much of the church where I read it every day. I preach out of it every time we gather. I appreciate what's in it. But my relationship is not with it. I don't have a tie. I don't buy it Christmas presents. I didn't die an Easter egg for it. In fact, I didn't die an Easter egg for anybody. I did bite the head off a chocolate bunny though. I don't know when its birthday was. I don't even care. Because what I care about is the yada that comes from, that this points me to. I want to actualize my relationship with Christ that this speaks of, but in the absence of this, I've lost nothing. Too much of the church world today in the absence of their Bible, they feel like they've lost their, all their faith. Suddenly, how am I gonna know Jesus? How am I going to know God? Ask those people in the Solomon Islands. Ask those people overseas. Ask those people all in these countries and all over the world today that have never read a Bible one time, but somehow they know God. And somehow they have an experience. When I went to Cuba twice, gone to Cuba, somehow those people knew how to worship God and most of them had never held a Bible in their hand. But man, they could worship. In fact, I said to them when I was ministering in one church, I said to them, I said, you don't need America. America needs you. Because you worship and you don't even know what leather feels like. <laughs> Does anybody hear me today? If you think that I'm knocking the Bible, I'm not doing that. Don't interpret what I'm saying today as knocking the Bible and just casting it off and saying it's irrelevant. It's not irrelevant. It just has nothing to do with my relationship with God. And it should have nothing to do with your relationship with God. We read it because it's a great book. And it points us in the right direction. And when someone gets saved, you know what I do? I tell them, read the book of John from beginning to end. When someone comes to Christ here, I'll tell them, read the book of John. Start with chapter one and go all the way to the end and read it again and again until you get it. Because it'll tell you all about it. And then focus on John chapter six that, where he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And do you know what he's saying about that? When he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, if all I'm doing is reading scripture, I'm going, eh. 
But if I'm saying, what is that really saying to me? And I look past that and I have to ask the Father. I have to say, Father, can you explain that to me? And then he says, oh, it's not about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, literally. It's about knowing me in the deepest way. And if you can know me in the deepest way, you're eating my flesh and you're drinking my blood. You have relationship with me because you have come to know me and because you're talking to me, not because you read these pages on a bo- in a book. Amen. Do you hear what I'm saying today? Yes. Because this Bible is both constructive and destructive. The Bible is both constructive and destructive for those who make the Bible their religion for those who make the Bible their God, for those who have relationship with the Bible, it's both constructive and it's destructive, and this is where I'm going to segue to. It was important that we understand the relationship of knowledge, that yada with God, before I could get into the faith part. It's constructive because it says what I just said, of many things that it says in there. It says, John 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part with me. That's constructive to the person who says, Father, help me understand that. Take my mind out of the pages of this book and translate my mind into the heart of God. Let me see into who you are. And if you can translate my mind into your heart so that I can really understand, I want to renew my mind. Renew my mind. Suddenly that passage became constructive because I understand he wants me to really know him. Those are the words he chose so that they would make the point, but he wants me to know him. It's destructive when someone reads those words and they don't look any further. And they say, just like they did in John chapter 6, and it says many of them walked with him no more because they read that and said, how are we going to eat your flesh and drink your blood? You're disgusting. He said, you have a hard time with that? What are you going to do when I ascend into the heavens? And the next verse says, and many of them walked with him no more because it became destructive to them. What was constructive to me and to you, I hope, for many, was destructive. In the same way when it comes to faith. All of us at some point in our life are going to have to, all of us at many points in our life require faith. We have to have faith to come to Christ. We have to have faith to believe that he's the son of God, that he died and that he rose again and that he did that for out of obedience to the Father so that you and I could have relationship with God. We have to come to that place. And it requires faith to believe that. And really it requires blind faith because nobody in this room has ever met Jesus Jesus personally and shaken his hand. Unless you met the guy beside you that has come to know Christ or the woman in front of you that has come to know Christ. And if they, can, they have come to know Christ and they have relationship with Christ, then you can shake their hand and say, you've met Christ. Hallelujah. Right. Because relationship begins to make people look like one another. Yes. Their word becomes your word. Hallelujah. Your word becomes theirs. Right. You hearing me this morning? Yes. But there's a verse that I want to read to you right now out of James 1.6. It says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed 
by the wind. Now see, if I were living by the Mosaic law, if I were living in legalism and I were living in bondage and I were living, my relationship with God was based only on how I read the scripture in black and white. I would believe that every single time I doubted, this is where it can be destructive. I would believe that every single time I needed something in my life, all of us have needed faith. I would believe that every time I needed something in my life and I was praying to God and I had any doubt in me whatsoever, I would live with conviction. If I were saying to the Father, I'm believing you for this, I have faith that you can do this, yet somehow in my heart there's some doubt that only I know about. No one else does. All they see is my reflection of faith, but they don't feel, they don't sense, they don't discern, they don't know that in my heart there might be a little bit of doubt, there might be a little bit of fear. See, if I read that and I make that word my word, based on what's written, based on ink and pen. That passage becomes destructive because I believe if I read that and take it at face value, I believe if I have any doubt at all, then I have no faith at all. And how many believers, even in this room, how many people in this room you've prayed for things before and you've wanted to have faith and you've wanted to have faith, but the doubt that you had seemed so much bigger than the faith you were trying to conjure up? And then the enemy used that because then suddenly he made you begin to feel like, oh man, I, have, I don't have faith. Maybe I really don't have relationship. Am I really even saved? Is, do I really have relationship? And all of a sudden, he's using that. Because while on one hand you say to everybody you know, I'm praying, I'm believing in faith, but on the other hand in your heart, you know doubt is present, whether in small or great measure. And you begin to condemn yourself, though God is not. You begin to condemn yourself. You certainly you don't tell your preacher because he's going to say, oh, if you have doubt, you'll never get the answer to that prayer. Your doubt is the absence of faith. But I want to tell you that ain't true. He said, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And if you dig deep into that and you study that, it isn't about doubting with faith. It's about doubting without faith. You need to hear what I'm telling you this morning. (laughs) Nobody in this room has ever prayed for anything without some measure of fear or doubt. You've not prayed for anything of significance without some measure of uncertainty. Go ahead and tell the truth about you. He who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossing here and tossing there. It's not about he who doubts It's about he who doubts without faith. 
But when I have faith in God and I believe he is capable of doing all things and he knows what he's dealing with, I'm going to have doubts. There's times I'm gonna, there's going to be doubt present, but it is not because I don't have faith. I have faith that he can do despite my doubt. What I could not do without faith at all. Do you hear what I'm saying to you today? Faith is not the absence of fear and doubt. Faith is the confidence that God wins despite those things. Then I'm going to read you this. This is a statement I wrote down this morning. To doubt without faith is hopeless. Listen to this. You need to get this in your heart this morning so that his word becomes yours. To doubt within my faith is trusting God. It's joining heaven and earth together. He does not expect you to be perfected yet. He is working on you. He is working on me. But until this mortal man becomes immortal... God is not so cruel that he says, oh, I sniff a little fear or doubt in you. Therefore, I'm not even going to honor what faith you have. In fact, in Mark chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, referencing the demon-possessed boy, Jesus says, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father cried out, listen to this, this is so good. And immediately, the daddy of that demon-possessed boy cried out, and he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. In another translation, Lord, I believe, but help my doubt. (laughs) You're hearing what I'm telling you this morning? Till his word becomes my word. When I think of Scripture and I read Scripture and it can be constructive and it can be destructive, I'm telling you, I want to read it from the perspective so that it's constructive. I want it to always point me not to the next chapter, but to God. I don't want it to point me to this referenced verse somewhere three books before that one. I want, it to point it, I want it to point me back to Christ to, so that I always read into it and I say, I want to know what is the spirit of this, not the letter. Yes. That's right. When his word becomes my word, faith comes alive, and I recognize the Bible is one of many tools that I can use to know him and that I have so that I can have relationship with him. I'm moved today. Because I told you, some of you today that have been condemning yourself because you've been believing for something strategic and great and powerful and big and it's outside of your ability, whether it's healing in your body, something for your family, something for whatever it might be, but you believe for it and every time you pray and you believe, you're afraid to make his, his word is whatever you ask in my name, I'll give it to you. And you hear that word, but you never made that word yours because every time you pray in what you consider faith, 
for something, that little bit of doubt tells you, oh, you don't, have, you don't really have faith. You really don't believe that whatever you ask in His name, you can have. But I'm telling you today, that little bit of doubt, that little bit of fear you've got, that is not the lack of faith on your part. You're believing God. Your faith is in God that He will even despite your fear and despite your doubt, he will do something amazing on your behalf. Why? Because you are a son and you are a daughter and you have that yada kind of relationship with him that is expressed and actualized in every choice and in every decision. Do you hear me today? Have you heard what I've said today? There's people in this room that don't have relationship with God today. And you know why they don't have relationship with God today? For the very same reason. Because his word never became theirs. Because the way they received his word was, this is what he said I have to be like in order to know him. Somebody read this to me in the Bible. Somebody shared this with me in the Bible. Somebody told me that in the Bible it says that I can't do this and I have to do that. Somebody told me I've got to have a prayer closet. Somebody told me I've got to have this. Somebody told me I've got to read three chapters of the Bible every single day or I'm going to hell. Most of the time they don't even know if it's in the Bible, but because the preacher referenced it in such a way, they think it is. There's people in this room today not even certain whether or not they're saved. You know why they're not certain? Because when they came and they, they said to the Father, some said, you know what, I repent. Forgive me of my sins. And I receive you, Jesus Christ, to be Lord and Savior of my life. I receive you. But some preacher said to them, said, now if you ask that in faith, without doubting, you're saved. But in their heart of hearts, now they smile and say, then I'm saved. Because the preacher said, did you get saved? I did, thank God. <laughs> but in their heart of hearts, they know. I'm not... I'm not really sure it happened. I believe, I, I, I want to believe, but I'm not sure it happened. I'm going to tell you, despite your doubt, God will operate because of your faith. Some folks have never done it because you're just simply afraid. You've never one time even asked him to come into your heart because you thought there's no way I can serve a God I'm not absolutely certain exists. There's people in this room today that have had tragedies in your life that have made you question the very existence of God. Yet here you sit. Yet here you sit. But for those, if for any reason you've ever even questioned it, but yet you know in your heart, you believe in your heart God is, you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again so that you could know the Father. You might not even know how to put it into words, but you believe that he is. You believe, you hear what I'm saying today and you believe. Yet somewhere in you there's a measure of fear, there's a measure of doubt, what will it cost me? I'm going to tell you something today. Those are the kinds of things he likes working with. Those are the things that Christ likes to work with. Those are the things Holy Spirit likes to work with. He likes to give you the opportunity. You come. And you ask me to forgive you. And I'm going to forgive you. And whether you doubt it 
a little bit or a lot or not at all. I'm going to have a conversation with you if you will listen to me and I am going to take you on a journey that will cause you to come to the place where the doubt is diminished because the relationship is growing. You need to hear what I'm saying today. It was important for me today to, to conclude this series on Scripture, taking God at His word so that we could understand what's the real purpose of the Bible. Is it to make us get up every morning and condemn us? I know I've met people, a lot of people, that never read the Bible because they're afraid of what they're going to learn. If I read it, I can't keep doing this because I think it, somebody mentioned it might say I can't. So I'm not reading that thing and then living under condemnation, and that was never the intention. The intention was, you know what? Until you have revelation, until he convicts you, you keep on living. But I'm going to tell you, if you have a relationship with God, he's going to convict you when conviction is necessary. He does not expect you to come to him this morning and say, I repent, will you change my life? And suddenly, you grow wings. <laughs> or a halo. Or start glowing. I still don't glow. I still don't have wings. And I've been doing this a long time. And better than that, I'll tell you the whole truth. There are times I deal with doubt. It doesn't change my faith. There are times I deal with fear. It doesn't change my faith. Because my doubts and fears, I always understand and know and believe. In the middle of that, in the middle of all of that, He's going to show himself incredible because via that faith, because I still believe, even when I have doubt and fears, he's going to use that faith to turn that all around. Don't be surprised. Don't be deceived into thinking God doesn't know what you're feeling. <laughs> if we try to hide, when we have doubt, I mean... I, Years ago, I would have never said to you what I just said. You know, there's times I have doubt. There's times that I have fear. Because I would have thought what everybody always told me, if you're going to be a preacher, you can never have doubt and fear. Man, I have to live like that every day? What if I miss doubt and fear? I want to have some fear. I don't want to run out in front of a Mack truck. But we're human, you and me. And we're part God, you and me. He's grafted us into himself. Yes. And it is our faith that leads us through the forest of doubt and fear. This is my faith. This is what I'm facing. I need my faith to show me how to get through this. For some of us, it's a forest. For some of us, it's a wilderness. For some of us, it's simply one or two rocks. 
It's irrelevant. I need my faith to get me through and around it. I don't need to pretend like it's not there. I'm just going to keep reading these scriptures on faith. I'm going to wake up one morning and there will be no doubt and fear. Even Peter, when he was descending into the water, when he stepped out of the boat and he went to Christ and the Father said, Peter, why do you doubt? It's not because doubting was wrong. It's because Peter gave up his faith in the middle of his doubt. Peter, believe who I am. It's okay to have some fear right now. You're standing on water, dude. (laughs) But I want to show you in the middle of that what faith can do. Do you hear me this morning? Very moved today concerning this. Because I've known since probably the second week of the series what this day was, or what the last one was going to be. And I've known that in some folks here, you have struggled because you have had doubt. You have had fears about things, and you felt like that was the absence of faith. And maybe it is. Maybe you quit having faith because you started believing what was written in pen and not written in spirit. But I'm telling you this morning, what the Father wants to do is He wants you to be who you are, and He wants to come where you are. He wants to meet you right where you are, and in the middle of that, He wants you, He wants to ignite your faith so that it will help you overcome the doubt and the fear. Do you hear me today? Stand with me if you would, please, this morning. Please don't anybody leave yet. Honey, come and join me. So I'm absolutely certain that I've been speaking to people in this room today. Absolutely certain. There are some here who have struggled because from time to time there's been a doubt, there's been a fear. And you focused on the doubt and the fear because you felt guilty. So it crippled your ability to have faith. And you've needed God to move on your behalf. You've needed Him to do a miracle. And you know that He can. But your doubt and your fear, you felt like destroyed your faith I'm telling you that's not true today if you have relationship with God you have faith because the only way you can have relationship with God is with faith so you have faith ask him today let me pray with you today so that you can begin to use that faith to help you navigate through those trees of fear and doubt And then you come out the other side and you are a testimony. Not because you lied against the truth and said, there's no doubt and fear in me, man. I am a man of God. But because you were honest and said, you know what? There's some things in me. I might not talk about it a lot, but there's some things in me, but I believe God. 
If the words that I've spoken today have spoken to you, if the things that Holy Spirit has used me to release today have ministered to you and are calling out to you and are awakening some things in you, I want you to come and join me in the front of this building. Don't wait on anybody else. Just come and join me and my wife. I'm asking that nobody leave, please. Normally by this time I would have welcomed the visitors and I do welcome you. I'm very thankful that you're here but I want you to be as much a part of this as anyone here. If you have in the hearing of my voice this morning I pray that you have heard the voice of God within my voice. We invite you to be a part of whatever you're stirred to be in, a part of. Oh Holy Spirit, I'm so thankful today. You love us one and you love us all. Man, the condemnation. Oh, the weight of feeling like being human somehow disappoints God. On one hand, when we read one scripture, Sam, it's easy to say, I have a promise. And I know that he's working in me until we get to faith. And everybody stumbles on faith because we feel like if we're not perfect in our faith, somehow God's going to punish us. Nope, 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 nope. And never has, never will. Once I receive him and I have faith in him, that faith doesn't just help me do better on my test. doesn't help me only be a better husband to my wife, better better father to my children, better visionary for the leader of the people of this house, but it helps me overcome my own fears, my own doubts that exist because they exist. I know that there's always a battle raging in all of us between flesh and spirit. And I also know that that battle, I always have the promise that we can win that battle. And I believe that. So let me ask you a question. Be honest, not just the people standing up in the front, but people that are standing out there in the congregation today. How many of you have been challenged by some doubts and fears in the middle of your faith? And it's made it difficult for you sometimes. Hold your hand up. Just hold it up real high. So let me ask it a little different. How many of you have ever felt condemned, almost ashamed because of that. Hold your hand up. I want you to be free today. I'm going to go ahead and acknowledge my doubt and my fear, and I'm also going to go ahead and acknowledge that I'm a man of faith. I have a relationship with God who loves me, and He's going to use my faith to get me through the doubt and fear, because that's what God does. Father, I lift my voice with my wife today and stand over this people. I want everybody to point your hands this way. I'm so very thankful for the anointing that is in this house today to heal, to free, to renew minds, to encourage, to restore hope and life, to remove condemnation, to set at liberty those who have been captive for so long because somehow in their mind, There was a misunderstanding between the relationship of faith and fear and doubt. 
today. Renew every mind. Renew every mind, Holy Spirit. Renew every mind in this place today, Holy Spirit. And each of us today, begin to work. Let that faith come alive again in every man and every woman. I pray, Father, by Holy Spirit, you remove any guilt, any shame, anything that has been associated with the acknowledgement privately in the lives of these. I've had fear, I've had doubt, and somehow I've allowed it to create shame in me. Be free from that today. Be free from that today. Be free today. Father, help us today to put our focus on you. Trust you. Believe you that in the middle of all of this, we're using our faith to fight through this. We're using our faith to navigate. It's not a war. We're navigating. We're simply walking through it. We're not battling. We're not pulling things out. We're simply navigating our way through. And we're doing it because you've anointed us as sons and daughters. And we have relationship. We have yada with you. We are actualizing our relationship with you. There is demonstration. Disobedience. Rebellion can be cast down because we're now beginning to move in the measure of faith that you've given us and be glorified by it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Come on, put your hands together this morning. Do not, do not Let the enemy rob from you one more day. Do not. Because of every time you're confronted with a fear and a doubt, you blame the devil for it. You're going to feel like somehow he has rule over your life and not God. All my doubt, all my fear, or whatever measure of doubt, whatever measure of fear I have, doesn't just come because... The devil made me do it. Sometimes it just comes because I'm just Steve and I bleed when you cut me. And it's in those moments that God shows himself to be God. And every day he is looking for an opportunity to reveal his power through our weakness, his strength, his vision through our blindness, his hearing through our Moments where we're not hearing at all. He's always looking for a way to show himself strong. And when he sees doubt and fear in us, and he knows that we have faith, when it's a concerning thing is when there's no faith. But when I have faith in him, and there's doubt and fear, the Father says, Project. I get to show them how much I love them right in the middle of this.